Welcome to another episode of the Neoliberal Round podcast. I am Ronaldo McKenzie. Today, we have breaking news. How COVID-19 changed voting practices and the GOP's fight to undo it. Again, today, we have breaking news. How COVID-19 changed voting practices and the GOP fight to undo it. Welcome back to the Neoliberal Round podcast. Today, we have breaking news commentary. How COVID-19 changed voting practices? Was there a democratic plot to win the 2020 U.S. elections? Based on uh, an article that I had carried about a year ago, just after the elections, about conspiracy theory and whether or not there was a democratic plot to, to, to or strategy to win the 2020 U.S. elections, presidential elections. And is, the just, and is the GOP justified in pressing to limit mail early in-person and election day voting? Since the 2020 U.S. elections, there has been approximately 250 to 425 new laws proposed by the GOP in about 43 to 49 states to limit mail, early in-person, and election day voting. After the unsuccessful attempts by former President Donald Trump and various other Republican officials to overturn it, on allegations of voter irregularities, which they could not prove. However, Sometime after the elections, in November 2020, I made an anecdotal discovery about how some people voted and wondered if that justified the need for some Republicans who are seeking through the courts to strengthen election laws surrounding voter identification that some Democrats and activists call voter suppression. So I decided to do some digging and made an interesting discovery that I had initially published as a conspiracy theory in an article in the neoliberal commentary. But if truth be told, it was never a conspiracy theory, but based in unverified facts, lacking academic research and rigor, as it was from a a few sources, So I decided to conduct a deeper study through ethnographic mixed with some journalism investigation methods. 
the neoliberal corporation, and as part of my research at Georgetown, embarked on a study to explore this conjecture or hypothesis couched in the aforementioned article that I will outlay later in this commentary. According to Amy Gardner, Kate Rabinowitz, and Harry Stevens in a story published in the Washington Post entitled The GOP, well, in a story published in the Washington Post, the GOP's national push to enact hundreds of, uh, hundreds of new election restrictions could strain every available method of voting for tens of millions of Americans, potentially amounting to the most sweeping contraction of ballot access in the United States since the end of Reconstruction, when southern states curtailed the voting rights of formerly enslaved black men, a Washington Post analysis has found. And you can actually check the, check the story if you go on. This story is available in the neoliberal post uh, at the neoliberal.com is also available at rinaldocmckenzie.com where you will where you will get access to all the links to some of the references we're making it was 6 months after the 2020 US elections and a group of us at the neoliberal conducting anthropological and investigative research for a story we are working was in between New York, Philadelphia, and DC neighborhoods, living in and going to street corners, community centers, and homes to have conversations with some of the men we had formed anthropological friendships and relationships with, as we get to understand their voting behaviors and patterns and political interests given the new inability to scrutinize voting with COVID-19 fears and this practice of social distancing. It was not the traditional way Americans voted, which was at the public polling centers. In 2020, most of the voting took place within the homes and ballots were mailed in boxes. We rapped with the guys on the corners within these locals, Asbury, Park, New Jersey, Philadelphia, North, South, Northeast, and West Philadelphia, DC, Prince George, and NYC, we're talking about Harlem, Bronx, and Brooklyn, days and evenings, in hoodies and scullies, as if we were one with them on the corners. And we found out quickly that we could use to con- what we could use to connect with the people in our study, what some people used to call hippies in the 1960s, which provided an opening for conversations and certain deeper level revelations about voting. And we should point out here what is different between those of our study and the hippies of the 1960s is that today the hippie culture is popular. Their behavior, style and culture are no longer operating on the fringes or reserved for a small group with a name such as hippie. But here we were academics and young scholars in these communities getting to know the guys and creating conversations about their voting behavior, which they would inadvertently and comfortably share for more common talk and questions that I would seep into the conversations without even asking direct questions about what way they voted and how they voted. But 
As I connected and interacted with several black and brown men in these communities of Asbury Park, Philadelphia, New York, D.C., and the research interviews we conducted with other demographics so as to compare behaviors to formulate conclusions about our findings, we begin to realize a pattern. In fact, one exchange was quite telling when a young gentleman I call Leek stated rather jokingly that I did and didn't vote in the last elections as we were playing dice with his other homies. I asked, what do you mean by that, bro? I used bro at the end as a way to reinforce my connection with the subject so as to retrieve an intimate and real answer and as a way to suggest that he can tell me the truth. I'm your bro. A method of doing ethnography or, or anthropology where you neutralize resistance of the subjects participating in, in a study by formulating or appealing to connections that you have developed and using connecting and, and intimate words such as cuz, bro, slime at the end based on your research subjects and the demographics and behavior within the particular study group or community. And by the way, I must tell you that I remember one of these gentlemen referred to me as slime and I thought he was calling me slime as in, as in something slimy and bad. But then when I confronted others about it, what he had said, they responded, oh no, slime means, oh, slime is good. Slime means a homeboy. It means, so I, so, so, so I was, I was in, in the community forming uh, relationships and friendships and getting to know people and getting to know their stories and getting to understand their voting behavior. And they were more than happy to share so let, let me continue. So I, 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 as I said he, said, he said to me, I asked, he said in one exchange, he said, I did and didn't vote in the last elections. I do were playing dice, as I said earlier. So I asked, what do you mean by that, bro? And uh, he said, well, you know, my mom voted for me because I couldn't care for this SH and, you know, the expletive there, but she does. And then he continues by saying, but she does. And you know, that's her thing. L let me repeat that so you guys understand clearly what we are saying. He responded by saying, well, you know, when I asked him the question, um, what do you mean, bro? He says, well, you know, my mom voted for me because I couldn't take, I couldn't care for this. S-H asterisk T, but she does. And you know, that's her thing. And she uses the same S-H asterisk T word there. So he continues. So, so I just let her rack out with it. And as I interviewed several other people in communities, we were realizing this same pattern, this same pattern of and reacting and reaction among mostly black and brown men in these communities. When we delve deeper into this, we realized that these individuals came from single parent homes headed by a strong grandmother or mother or in some situations, girlfriends or baby mothers do the voting for their male counterparts who are usually apolitical or turned off by politics and police, but whose girlfriends are political and follow their family tradition and influenced by the Me Too movement. In fact, we interviewed some women who confessed that they were so upset with Donald Trump and, influ and so influenced by the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter movement that they either coerced 
and went as far as to voting for their boyfriends or 18-year-old teenage sons during the last election so that the Democrats could win. We did not find any participants who voted Republican who were led to go as far as voting for their loved ones, protected by the privacy of the home and only had to drop the ballot in the box after the voting was done and the envelope is closed with the home within the home. For these mothers or women, the ends justified the means. Indeed, the information gathered from our research suggests or suggested that males in, the, in, in, this, in, the, in this demographic are not inclined to vote unless they are college-educated, religious, somewhat well-off, or economically stable. The others don't really vote. But what was alarming was that those who usually don't vote voted as there was an increase in voting among this group, yet many don't usually vote. When asked, they responded that their women or mama voted for them. You see, the home is private and prevents a certain security and scrutiny. And this is what the GOP is trying to protect against, it would seem. The issue for... The issue, the issue... The issue here is that... Or for the GOP... The issue for the GOP is that absentee ballots and or mail-in ballots or drop boxes create problems for democracy. And it's not just an issue for one political... One, polit- one particular political group or party. It is an issue for everyone. The issue, f- the issue, the issue, again, the issue here is that absentee ballots and or mail-in ballots or drop boxes create problems for democracy. That's what the Supreme Court is grappling with today as Republicans push massive voter suppression laws across the U.S., admitting that they can't win without making it harder for black and brown Democrat-leaning people to vote. And guess what? They may be right. Let's not pretend that mail-in voting didn't create a unique situation in especially black households where black men and many young people do not vote. But they live in households that, that do, if you understand what I mean by that. The mamas organize and lead the family vote in the home. In 2016, Mrs. Hillary Clinton didn't have the privilege of mail-in ballots that would ensure that enough black vote turned out on election day for her and the Democrats. And if you look at the data, if you look at the data that, that the Washington Post, the Washington Journal presented, it shows the spike in mail-in voting. There was, at, there was at, in, in fact, the data suggests 0% as against to 100%. The difference between 2016 and 2020. So the mamas organize and lead the family vote in the home. And, in, and again, in 2016, Mrs. Hillary Clinton didn't have the privilege of mail-in ballots that would ensure that enough black vote turned out on election day for her and the Democrats. That's the problem. Black and brown Democrat-leaning people don't usually get involved in, in the politics of voting. They are suspicious of political leaders and the system that have largely disenfranchised them. The conclusion for them is that nothing really changes in the society, irrespective of who is in charge, does nothing to ultimately change their plight. The GOP made sure that this pessimism was cemented and fermented in the minds of black and brown voters, especially during the Obama presidency. Even after Mr. Obama fought to pass the Affordable Care Act, 
and cut taxes for the, for the poor, mainly black and brown people and the working class during the economic recession, which began in 2008. Despair and doubt about elections and Obama remained. Black and brown people became even more withdrawn and disillusioned from elections. And the massive democratic campaigns to get them to exercise their voting rights, which was only obtained since 1964, seemed to have fallen on deaf ears. Obamacare became law, and the black working class saw their taxes cut, much to the chagrin of the GOP, who had failed to defeat Obama and pass a major health care bill themselves. A feat that they wanted to achieve, and not a black Obama, for that would surely win over their base and others while sowing and inculcating a false perception and narrative that leads to an attitude of indifference in black people's minds about elections. The conservative plot was to obstruct President Obama so that he gets nothing done. In effect, this would have and did create the perception that nothing changes even under a change of party of having a black president. So that by the 2012 and the 2016 US elections, fewer black people turned out for Democrats to vote compared to 2008. There was simply no taste for politics in the minds of black and brown people anymore And this was a winning moment for the GOP. Therefore, as we moved closer to the the 2020 elections, the Democrats did their homework to to understand how and why black and brown people vote or do not vote, especially within black and brown neighborhoods. They probably found that the negative perception of change and politics within black, brown, and young community, and the BLM protests provided a challenge, but also an opportunity for Democrats. The question then became, how do we, how do Democrats win an election when our black and brown voters are disillusioned and have become indifferent? Further, talking negatively about Trump as a strategy to get people to vote Democrat and against against Mr. Trump didn't provide any lucrative solution for Democrats who were outmatched by Trump's supporters. The fact is that Trump had a solid base comprised mainly of white and conservative supporters that was unmoving and would guarantee his victory. Moreover, overturning an enthusiastic Trump's base whose turnout for elections seemed insurmountable, would have proved a daunting and losing task, given the disillusionment of their black and brown voters. Further, the economy was doing relatively well under Trump pre-COVID-19, and even black people were intrigued by Trump, who was willing to invest in Americans and provide some red meat programs for blacks and, and a stimulus package that black and brown people took advantage of and got more than they bargained for. Biden, President Biden and Vice President Kamala didn't didn't provide any hope either, it would seem. Mr. Biden was seen as a bit decrepit and Ms. Harris couldn't even launch a successful presidential primary campaign as she abruptly ended her primary campaign and was accused by some campaign staff as being too strict. The opposition argued that Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris 
never had a strong record of supporting black and brown people as Mr. Biden was classified as racially indifferent to black people and Ms. Kamala's record or Kamala's or Ms. Harris's record as a former prosecutor highlighted her harsh stance against black people given the heavy penalties on small black crimes. As a result, the COVID-19 pandemic that caused the cities to lock down and created a life of social distance provided the answer which allowed Democrats to explore how they could utilize this opportunity to get the votes they needed to overturn the enthusiasm and strong Trump, Trump base. The tectonic changes that led to remote working and living meant that voting could be done remotely as well. And Democrats may have seized the chance to turn that to their advantage. Since black men and young people don't vote as much, but their mamas do, who were influenced by the Me Too movement and was already against Mr. Trump, who they saw as misogynistic, getting them to vote was easy. So getting them to vote was easy. In addition, a black woman member of the, or, or on, on, the, um, on the ticket whom black women could identify with provided an indispensable factor in their plot. The black woman heads the home and changing the venue and technique of and technique of voting would facilitate a unique situation. Target black and brown households, but mainly the mamas, and promote mail-in or absentee voting so that the mamas would lead the voting. The conspiracy here is that idea is, is that idea that the mamas would ensure that their sons and partners and adult young voted. Whatever this looks like, we do not know. But we have heard of situations and we have actually interviewed and spoken and verified these situations in certain communities, in the privacy of hood talk, in the, in the privacy of hood talk and, and or black talk or where some young men alluded that they voted for the first time but didn't really see the paper as their mamas worked on the ballot paper for them. This is an allegation which cannot be proven as within the community, you don't snitch. And the home is largely private. And what goes on in the privacy of the home is between the households. The GOP and Mr. Trump may have unearthed this, but proving it is difficult. The Democrats were able to get out the vote through a system which left more questions than answers and provide for, for irregularities and fraud, which is difficult to prove because which household or family will out their mama, whom they cherish? as the head cook and bottle washer, the breadwinner. So today the GOP are seeking to minimize the possibility of the mamas or OG or old head in African-American hood culture or family members voting for their loved ones in the households. I'm not, now, I'm not saying it, that it may not happen in other households or, or as, okay, but based on the demographics and what, and what we have gleaned so far. Now, indeed, indeed, it is difficult to safeguard against fraud with absentee. Uh, it's, it's difficult to safeguard against fraud with absentee ballots without proper checks and balances. However, there has always been absentee ballots where citizens and military workers overseas are able to mail in their votes. But absentee voting was never an issue as the numbers of mail-in votes coming from overseas were not significant enough to overturn an election result unless the election was very and minutely close. 
But the 2020 U.S. elections proved that absentee ballots without proper identification and safety against irregularities may provide an opportunity for fraud. We could provide this bold commentary based on the conversations we had in communities which led to a discovery. A pattern that we noticed that still requires further study. But to say that it was a democratic plot is unfounded and spurious. Nevertheless, we noted that several men didn't vote from certain households, yet they voted. We explore how this was possible, that many didn't vote, yet voted. Was it because for the first time people could vote in the privacy of their homes due to COVID-19 restrictions? Households that usually vote and, and those that didn't could now vote from home? However, the voting pattern suggested that African-Americans voted in the last elections more than they've ever voted in any year. While at the same time, while at the same time, mail-in voting in 2016 was at 0%, but 2020, mail-in voted quadrupled. Yet many exit polls could not accurately capture this because of the untraditional ways of voting, of voting mail-in voting. Further, our research suggested that persons in these homes voted, which caused a, a statistical imbalance or, Im, or ambivalence and confusion because it betrayed behavior. Poll predictions were off and pollsters continued to misrepresent voting patterns and attitudes. But this was due to how people voted and who voted. So we went into the communities, especially African-Americans, to do more study, but to dig deeper, using anthropological methods, living among the voting population and conducting interviews and observations over 13 months while being part of the community. I moved from NYC to Philly and conducted research in Pennsylvania, and particularly Philadelphia, among 18 to 44 non-college educated and college educated black families and individuals, black and brown families and individuals. This study will continue. This study will continue as we study privilege power, position, status, and secrets to unlocking divine intervention, which I have said is no secret and requires no particular allegiance, only belief in action that is activated insofar as you believe. Thank you for listening to the Neoliberal Round podcast. And this story that we carry today we will continue to explore it as we develop a dissertation and book project and, uh, that we are working on, that I'm working on actually in, at Georgetown University, entitled Privilege, Power, Positions, Position, Status, and Secrets to Unlocking Divine Intervention. It's actually a two-pronged book project, two-pronged research project. The first part looks at privilege, power, position, and status, looks at human dynamics, looking at how power uses various strategies in society to extend, to maintain, or to establish power. And the second part of the book looks at the secret to unlocking divine intervention, which I will tell you is not necessarily secret. And I will tell you it's not a revelation that requires universal, universal application to the principle or one that ascribe to hegemony but it is one that is perspectival and one that is inspirational 
and one that can provide hope, an experience of catharsis or something that you may want to explore for yourself. And so we will continue through various anthropological means and through philosophical means, studying archives and so on and so forth. And as we delve into communities, and as I said to you, what makes us unique here at The Neoliberal is that we are close to the stories. The Neoliberal Round is brought to you by The Neoliberal Corporation, which is serving the world today to solve tomorrow's challenges. We are a think tank, news commentary, digital and social media, and independent publishing company that now provides high-speed web hosting services to businesses. And we're talking about VPS and shared hosting, in addition to inventory management and mobile applications to businesses. We are always on the cutting edge to provide solutions that help to advance society. Continue to support us and access all our free journals and, and, and shows. And you can support us at https colon forward slash forward slash anchor.fm slash the neoliberal slash support. I am Ronaldo McKenzie. Thank you for listening to this show and share it with your friends and subscribe to us. And please send us a feedback so that we know how we are doing. Take care and walk good.